Peace and power, people, and welcome back to the podcast, The Justice Journey, One Million Voices. My guest today is an amazing sister who, even though she's been through a lot, you would never know it to look at her. I mean, not a hair out of place, grace style. She just goes through the world as if she's totally unbothered. Um, and I can't wait to hear how she's doing in, in, in this time and, and these days. How you doing, sis? I'm doing great, Lisa. Um, I hope you are enjoying retirement and enjoying life. I, you know, I always get it in and I don't know, I, I don't know about retirement. I just sh- shifted gears and I'm, I'm doing more now than I was doing before, which is great. <laughs> you tell, tell the folks a little bit about you, share what you want to share. Okay. I, um, I was, um, born here in Rocky Mount. Um, after about a year or so, my family moved to Richmond, Virginia. And after living there for about eight years, we, um, my mom and my brother and sister and I, we came back to North Carolina, um, Rocky Mount. And except for eight years um, that I lived in Greenville after I got married, I've been back here in Rocky Mount now about 35 years. Wow, okay. To tell us a little bit about um, Richmond, growing up in Richmond. This is, you know, Richmond's in the news with that huge monument to Robert Lee, and they got Monument Avenue with all the Confederate so-called heroes up and down this huge boulevard. What what, what was it like growing up there? Um, actually, you know, remembering I um, I started school there. Um, it was called Blackwell um, Blackwell School mm-hmm. uh, because during that time um, all the schools were um, segregated, mm-hmm. and um, I remember walking to school by myself. And mind you, I'm like in the kindergarten, first, second, second grade, and. You know, when you're that young, you really don't realize all the things that are perhaps going on around you. Right. Um, my um, dad, he, um, we moved there because he started working for Philip Morris. Okay. The tobacco and, company. Yes. And um, so I'm the oldest of three. My brother, he was also born here in Rocky Mountain. Matter of fact, he was born the next year on my birthday. Okay. So we're exactly 12 months apart. My sister was born at MCV in Rocky, mm-hmm. I mean, in Richmond. Okay. But um, just, you know, going back and forth to school. And um, then when my brother started school, I remember days walking to school um, to get him from school. Like during the summer, they would have summer programs, which we call now kindergarten or or pre. Um, right. K. 
and it wasn't mandatory back then. My mom basically sent us to school during that during those um, summer months just to give her some free time. Right. And um, so when I wasn't in school, she would send me being a little girl going to school to pick up my one year younger brother mm. um, by myself. And now I look back on those times and it just it's amazing with all the things that were going on with blacks and all of the racial issues and things that we have had to endure all all the years I'm, I'm just amazed that you know nothing happened to me nothing mm -hmm. happened to my brother mm -hmm. and it, it kind of sends a shockwave um, through me now knowing what I know now what I did back then mm-hmm um, because I think about what it, what if someone had taken me? Mm -hmm. What if someone had taken my brother? Yeah, you know there could have been so many things that could have happened to us. Right. And perhaps nobody would have never found us. And and to give people a frame of reference, we're talking about in the '60s in the South, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, so '64, exactly. '60. When the Freedom Riders are down there, where uh, you know um, George Wallace is making his statements, and and, and uh, Chief quote Bull Durham is hosing uh, uh, um, hosing down protesters with fire hoses and attacking them with dogs, and here you are, little five, six, seven, eight year old kids walking through Richmond. But let me ask you this. The neighborhood was segregated. The school was segregated. Were you walking through a mixed neighborhood or were you in a segregated neighborhood where your neighbors were black? I was in a um, um, segregated neighborhood because we were in um, on south side of um, Virginia and that was predominantly black. So I guess if you could say that we were kind of in a safe zone, perhaps. Right, right. But um, even at that, you know, we didn't live that far from um, Philip Morris, the original, mm -hmm. um, the original building. So there were all kinds of people coming through trying to get back okay. to work. Okay. Um, I remember one incident. I was um, walking from school to my grandmother's, which she probably lived, I guess, at that time, maybe three or four miles from where we were living. Mm -hmm. And I was, I like I said, I was coming from school. I had my... Um, little backpack or whatever I was carrying and I was walking on the sidewalk and I guess maybe at that time I was about halfway to my grandmother's house and I heard this dog mm -hmm. and I looked and I saw this dog like kind of lunging mm. and I I didn't know at the time he was on a chain but he was I just saw him like coming towards me Right. And so I dashed 
out in the street to try to get away from the dog because like I said, I didn't know he mm -hmm. was on a change and he, he couldn't actually get to me. Right. I was, I was hit by a car. <gasps> oh no. Yeah, I was hit by a car. And actually it was a white lady and she had her baby and she was on her way to pick up her husband from Philip Mars. So wow. as I stated, there was traffic you know, constantly going right. it within the area. And right. thank, thank um, goodness I wasn't hurt that badly. I think it scared me more so than I was hurt. You know, of course, you know, I was knocked to the ground. Mm -hmm. um, she wasn't going fast. Um, right. It was kind of in the school zone area yeah. as, as well. And um, do you remember? I, I, I remember that um, somebody called, you know, the police, the rescue squad, and okay. um, when everybody got there, I was actually in her car. She's crying, okay. the baby crying, I'm crying. Okay, I mean, we're all crying, and um, I did go to the hospital in the ambulance because they just wanted to check me out. Right. My mom was actually downtown on um, what we call Hull Street, if I'm not mistaken. She was working at this little five and dime store. And mm -hmm. she was actually pregnant with my sister at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, she got word. And of course, it was terrifying for her because she didn't know if I was, you know, hurt or not. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, I was okay. Um, just came away with, you know, a few bruises, um, but nothing broken. Did you, did you remember in terms of the demeanor of the people that were helping you or were you so stunned that you like don't remember? I mean, was the crowd mixed? Everybody equally, oh my goodness, help this child? Or, you know, was there any tension or, you know, do you even remember? Um, I, I really don't recall. Um, mm -hmm. I, it, I, I, I'm thinking that the rescue people were white. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't recall any type of... Negative vibe around it. Is, exactly. I and, mean, it's, it, I, I think that's an important like thing for people to hear because, you know, you think of the world in terms of black and white and right. you forget that most people live in a gray area. Like they're just trying to live. And, right. and even though they might have some views in their heart that are one way or the other, that I think the majority of people, you know, have a sense of humanity. And, but, but of course what we see in living color is all the, the black or the white, you know, the extremes of everybody, exactly. you know? So, exactly. so, so let me ask you this in your neighborhood. Do you remember knowing teachers and doctors and lawyers or having a vibe that this was like, everybody was looking out for you when you're walking to school or people waving at you? Do they recognize you? Do they acknowledge you. Did it feel like I'm just, you know, the hood is home and the home is the hood. Did it feel like that? Well, I think because I was in um, a neighborhood of my own kind, mm -hmm. 
people got used to seeing um, me walking. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness um, back then during that time, you know, I'm sure kids have always been um, kidnapped and mistreated and all kinds of things that, you know, I really can't even fathom in my mind. Right. Um, but, you know, during that time, I think people were more cordial, especially if you were in your own neighborhood. Right. They and look out so, for you. Exactly. Right. So I don't recall any type of um, hostility or anything like that that I can remember. Um, one thing I do want to to point out is that, you know, they're all different shades of black, if right. you understand what I'm saying. Colorism, um, yeah. Exactly. And I think for me, you know, my skin tone is a lot lighter than, right. than most or, 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 or some other, you know. Girl, just color. say it. You red bone. It's okay. Everybody know. Whatever. <laughs> you know, I've been called orange. I've been called ishy. Ishy black or ishy white. Uh, until, I open, until I open my mouth and they go, oh yeah, she black. She the yellow one. But yeah. look, so, so where you headed with this is the colorism. Yeah, how did that play out in Richmond for you in, in terms of your relationship with Black folks and your relationship with white folks? Did you notice the difference? Well, I, I, I really don't recall a whole lot of interacting with whites when I um, lived in Richmond um, uh-huh. because I basically stayed in my neighborhood um, I went to church um, right across the street from my grandmother, but she was still on the south end side of Richmond. So mm-hmm. I, really, I really don't recall any um, issues other than from my family. When my mother would send me here uh-huh. in the summer to stay with my grandmother here. Okay. Um, my my cousins, my mom's sister's kids, oh, they they, they probably mistreated me more growing up than I had from anyone else. Believe so they not. picked on you, they picked on you for being light. Exactly. Ah, and, okay. And it was it was it was pretty bad sometimes. Traumatic, yeah. Yeah. They were actually um like the, the girls would hold me down while their brothers would kind of like punch me. Wow. Yeah. And so I never told my mom until years later. I mean, like she just, we just talked about this maybe I say within the past 10 years and, wow. I'm, six, and I'm 60 now. Uh-huh. Um, I think for me, Lisa... And, and and I've kind of lived in a I'm not say I, I don't want to say fantasy, but for lack of words, 
right now. I think I've been naive to a lot of things that have gone on um, within, mm. within the Black race and the country. And I'm not saying that because I wasn't interested. Mm -hmm. It was just that I, I, I always thought that, you know, people, people should be able to get along. And although I knew these things were happening, you know, I was young when um, Dr. King was um, killed and he, he did his speech. I, I know all about that. And right. But, you know, sometimes we just kind of out of sight, out of mind. Right. It's, it's like when you have a disease, mm -hmm. uh, like my, my daughter, for instance, she was born with sickle cell disease. And I had always heard about that. But until it actually hit home that she had it, that a light bulb came out. This disease mm. actually happened. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is real. Right. And I think for me, a lot of things that I just kind of not really thought about or, or, or talked about because I really never had a whole lot of, I say, conflict or things that actually involved me that I knew of. Now, when I moved to Rocky Mount and we went, we lived out in the Red Oak area. Uh-huh. Um, I do remember an incident. I guess I was in the, because I was there when I was in the fifth and sixth grade. Mm -hmm. I, I remember standing in the lunch line one day and um, of course schools had integrated at that time. When I first moved here, it was still segregated. Right. Um, because I went to um, an all black school in the third and fourth grade. And then um, the fifth and sixth was when everything changed and I started at an um, integrated school. Okay. And um, standing in the lunch line and, you know, we were talking amongst, you know, some of the other students. And you know how you talk and you just kind of put your hand on somebody or, you know, just right gesturing or whatever. Yeah. And I remember this one white girl, I did that and she like sort of moved my hand and brushed her skin off. Wow. And I, I knew it, 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 it did something in my head, but mm -hmm. I, I really didn't put a whole lot into it. But I just knew that that was different. Uh huh. And, and I thought, I mean, what are you wiping off? Right. I mean, my hands are clean. Right. And so, you know, I guess that was my first moment of really realizing that although my skin tone is lighter, I'm still black. And that 
was my first awareness that I am really black and I'm right. now in and in a place where I never had to deal with black and white issues. Mm. So so do, even then did you start noticing it as a systemic issue showing up in multiple layers in life or did you say to yourself well that's just one chick with a problem and you know the rest of the world is okay but she she just she her individual self is a problem or did you did you conflate it to you know what there's a big racial problem in this country and that's just one example of it i think it was more or less she was the one that had the problem. I right. really didn't realize how big right. the problem really was within the world or the country. Yeah. And um and so I I you know I just I just kept going on through life. Mm-hmm. And um you know, you, you hear you hear stuff on the news, you 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 see stuff on the news and you hear people talking. But then again, if it really doesn't directly impact you, mm-hmm. you just kind of put it out of your head. Mm. And um it, I always knew that it was basically of what I thought was a white world and we was just kind of thrust into this into this melting pot or or into this and we just kind of deal with it the best that we could you know not try to make any waves mm. and always just try to keep harmony and keep peace and I mm-hmm. think that's where I kind of was um, until, you know, when you ha- when you 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 get grown and you start having kids and things start happening, because I think sometimes we think, okay, if it happens to me, I can deal with it. Mm-hmm. But when you become a mother, mm-hmm. you know, I can deal with it, but my kids that's a whole different ball game well listen i can tell we're gonna get deep deep in two seconds so i'm gonna take a little break and i want to hear more about that and i also want to hear because i know you to be a highly religious person so if if you don't mind i want to deep like dive into if you think that that has had anything to do with your mindset about, you know, keep the peace, roll with the punches, stay on an even level, don't get too wipe, you know, hyped up about stuff that's going on in the world because, and this is an assumption on my part, but, you know, people always say that are very religious, you know, God's got this, Jesus take the wheel, so on and so forth. And I'm not being sarcastic. I'm being serious Uh in terms of, how do you function in a world where you know bad things are happening and you're like, I know that there's something greater than me that is controlling everything. Uh, when we come back on the break, I want to hear where your head is with that. And, and I want you to start off, though, 
with that mama bear that I, I I'm, I'm hearing it groan in your voice. She about ready to come out. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so you don't cuss, but I will. I want to hear how the mama bear was ready to kick some ass when we come back from the break. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Peace and power, y'all. We will be back with uh after a brief break. All right, all right, we're back from the break with my guest who was just getting ready. It sounds like she's just getting ready to go off on somebody <laughs> that might be even thinking about threatening her baby. So so pick up where we left off the conversation. You, you were saying that, you know, it's one thing when you moving through life and you have your balance, and we'll get back to how you keep your, your, your cool and your balance um, and, and what made you able to kind of, some people might say have blinders on so you don't see what's going on, but other people would see that as a coping me mechanism to kind of take care of you and yours so you can do bigger and better things, which I know personally you have done. Like you have been a, an awesome OR nurse, nurse and the number of lives that you have touched through your ability to move through the world as unbothered, it's innumerable. So that to me is not blinders. That's keeping your sanity. Um, but something shifted. And, and what shifted was your children are now being exposed to stuff. Tell us about that. Okay. So when um, all, all three of my kids, and unfortunately my daughter um, has passed away, um, mm -hmm. And I have a fourth child um, that now um, lives with, um, that's still at home. Right. But, um, when we moved to, moved back to Rocky Mount after um, my kids were born, um, my youngest, who is um, now 35 years old and lives in Denver, uh -huh. um, the oldest one, he was um five years old and he was halfway through kindergarten. So we put him into the same school that I had the incident with the girl with the shaking off. Of right. Her, um, which was Red Oak. Um, uh -huh. He, um, we were talking one day and I don't know how the conversation came up. Um, I believe he had something that he had to write about in school now that I think about it. And it had, it was something to the effect, if there was one thing you could change about yourself, what would it be? Uh-huh. And his answer absolutely floored me. It said being black. Wow. Dag. And I asked him, I said, what do you mean if you could change one thing about yourself, it would be being black? And I don't know, I, I, I can't, that just, that stood out in my head, but I cannot remember exactly what he said. But evidently something had happened at school. Mm. And he, he started the school in, um, I think, February of his um, kindergarten year, 
because before he was in school in Greenville and he was in a Catholic school. Uh-huh. And so I don't know what had happened at school, but I had to sit down and talk to him and let him know that under no circumstance are you to be ashamed of who you are and what you are. Right. Because number one, you're my child and we're proud to be who we are. And number two, no one is to ever make you feel like you're inferior, no matter who they are, what color they are, or what their social economic status is or anything, because you are special and you're just as important as they are. And right. so, you know, when kids are that small, you don't, for me, I never, you know, went into a whole lot of detail. I gave them just enough that I felt like it would make an impact on them so that they could keep moving. And if they, uh -huh. had, if they had more questions, then we could talk about it further. So the question, so the issue never came up again, and I perhaps maybe I should have gone to the school to see exactly what was going on, but because right. he never um, said anything else about that, um, it never came up again. Um, now, now, now let, let, let me bust in. Now that he's grown, does he remember that? I'm not sure because I don't know if I've talked about that issue. Now, when he um, got to the first grade, um, it was, I, I guess he had been in school. He two or three months. It was before Christmas. Uh -huh. And I get this um, I get this um, request from the school that they want to talk to me because he's not doing well. Right. So I go out to the school and, you know, they said that, okay, I think he's probably going to have to repeat the first grade. Now, mind you, we're just getting started. We're in the first half of the school year. Huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And and I said, what do you mean he's gonna have to repeat the first grade? They said, uh -huh. well, you know, he, he's struggling, you know, when he came in last year, um, because he, you know, he came into a new school, he was a, he was behind and he has not caught up. And I said, so, okay, I can, I can deal with that. I said, so what can we do now right. to help him? Because not even half the school year is over right. with. And you're talking right. about repeating my son. Right. And I said, what can we do to help him? They said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, <laughs> can I like buy books? Can I get him a tutor? What can we do? Because... At this point, I'm not even going to entertain the thought of him repeating the first grade and we haven't given him an opportunity to try to get his grades up and, and give him some help. 
Right. They said, well, you know, there's really nothing we can do other than, you know, to try to help him in the classroom. I said, so you are not willing to help me help my son. Mm. They said, well, you know, whatever we can do here in the classroom. I, and I said, that's not acceptable. Right, because you've, well, you've already written them off. That's exactly what I said. I said, so they're saying, so then they proceed to tell me, well, we can pass him and we can put in his record that he was passed because of his mother. I said, excuse me, I said, you got the wrong person. I said, because number one, I'm here because I'm concerned about him. Number two, you have written him off. And number three, you're not willing to help me help him. And number four, you're not going to put in his records that he was promoted because of his mother. I said, because if you can't help me, then I see that I have to take care of this on my own. Did so, you, you know, did you did you perceive them as treating him differently because he was a little black boy? I think it was kind of in the back of my mind, but uh -huh. I, was, I was really trying not to go there. There again, I guess I was still kind of pushing things off. Right. But I knew that I was not going to accept them labeling him. Right. And, he, and he's only six years old. Now, this is your, your eldest son. Did this, a similar thing happen to your, your, your younger son? And then now uh, the, the youngest one that's living with you now, have you had to have that same sort of fight for them to get basic education? Well, the one that's living with me now you know, he is uh, number Special one. Needs. He is my stepson. Right. So I don't know what background that his um, mom does. Okay. Um, I do know that his two older sisters, neither one of them have um, finished school. Right. What about what about what about your your youngest son? Did he have experiences where they tried to sh shuffle him into the uh, the lower performing status? No, because by the time he got into school, we were over um, in Edgecombe where we are now, and he went to a school that um, which is. Um, Administratively black? It was administratively black, yes. Okay. And so you could already tell the vibe was different? It was different. Now, getting yeah. back to the oldest one. So mm -hmm. he, he gets on through the first grade and he goes on to the second grade. Right. So I guess he's been in school maybe another two, three months. And back then they were doing eye exams for kids. Right. In school. So he had his eyes examined in school. And I was sent home a note stating that he needed to go and have um, his eyes checked that perhaps maybe he needed glasses. Mm -hmm. So I said, OK, because um, 
his his dad wore glasses. So I said, well, you know, maybe he, you know, he does have some issues. So long and short, we go, he gets glasses because his vision was terrible. And that was the whole problem. And so just before <laughs> he gets out for Christmas, I get a letter from the school once again, and he's still in the same school, that he is exceeding everything and they want to bump him up to a different section in the classroom because where he is now is um, is is not, um, he's not able to, or he's exceeding where he is. Right, right. So all along, it wasn't that he was not able to do the work. You couldn't see the work. Yeah. He couldn't see the work. And they just ready to write him off. And they were ready to write him off and label him. Right. And, and where his seating was in the classroom, he couldn't see the board. Yeah. And, and so, and nobody bothered to ask that or find that out until this routine exam. Which so, was a which was a whole year later. Right. So listen, so fast forward to present day. Uh -huh. And we've got grown kids. We're still moms. Right. And now you're faced with everything that you're seeing. It's inescapable. Exactly. How, what's coming up for you now? What's happening now? So um, my youngest biological son, he lives in Denver. And um, I guess the neighborhood that he lives in, um, he's able, he's very physical, athletic wise. You know, he runs, he hikes, he, uh -huh. he, he, he's just very athletic. So he does a lot of bicycling and, and, and running in his, his neighborhood that he actually has his apartment. But he has um, recently become engaged and his fiance lives in a predominantly white neighborhood. Uh-huh. And so he um, has within, you know, since all of this stuff has really come to fruition with um, George Floyd and all of the other ones, um, God bless their soul. Um, they've had to endure some hard things and ultimately cost them their life. Um, he has um, gone out bicycling and, and running and he's getting those looks. Mm. And he, Denver is a predominantly um, white state. Right. City, and, yeah. Yes. And um, so for the first time that he's ever said anything to me, he's feeling some un uneasiness than he's ever felt before. So it has forced him to um, be more mindful of him being out and um, he has um, taken upon himself to go out and buy equipment that he can work out at home 
um, because he's going to be moving into this neighborhood once they get married because she has her own, she's buying her own house. So it's not like, you know, right. she's living in an apartment and they can move somewhere else. So, so how does that make you feel? Well, it really makes me feel uneasy and it, it, it has really brought some things to forethought because number one, his dad would absolutely go ballistic if something happened to him. Uh-huh. Um, he would be one of these people you see on TV and he would probably have a prison ministry, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, you know, encouraged him to always be aware of his surroundings and just to be safe, stay safe. And, you know, they've had to do some curfews um, back when all of this first started, started with um, the protesting. Right. Uh, I think now things have kind of settled down where they're not under a curfew um, now, but he, he, he's, he's being cautious and careful. And I just, my, my prayer is that he stays safe because I, I, I would probably also be one of these crazy people because you always say quiet people watch out for them. And when, when it involves you, you can probably swallow things maybe a little bit better, but when it comes to your, when you're the mother bear, you're going to do all you can to protect your cubs. And I just, I just, I just pray that he stays safe out there. And we talk every day. And one of the, the, the last things I tell him is, you know, stay safe, be mindful of where you go and, and, and your surroundings. And he's trying to put himself out there more as far as her neighborhood, because he's going to be living there. So I think he wants people to see that he is now becoming a part of the neighborhood. Although for some, that don't mean anything. And I'm not crazy enough to think that, you know, I often tell people that everybody's not going to like you no matter who you are, especially those of us uh, of color. Um, but now I feel like racism has always been out there. I think within the past three and a half years, because of social media and because of the, the, the generation of people that we have now, it has become more open. And a lot of things that used to get hidden and pushed aside, we're not letting that happen anymore. And, you know, people don't like that. 
And so with that being said, um, the more aggressive we are becoming, the more open they are becoming. Um, do, you think that, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I think it's good because, well, I think it's, it, 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 it can be both. It's good because for people like me that kind of have pushed things back and just kind of jumped on the bandwagon and just rode along for so long and not put ourselves out there, so uh -huh. to speak, now we have to take a stand. Uh-huh. Um, and then, um, on the flip side, we're saying, we're, we're saying, okay, we see you, y you may have in the past thrown the rock and, and, and hid your hands, but now that's not going to happen. That's not going to continue to happen because we see you and we're gonna, we're going to take a stand um, and let the whole world see that you're out there. Um, what do you, what do you see? You've got a grandson, right? I do. So not what do you see happening in the future for him, but if you could design the future, if you had the universe in your hands, well, we only have about 10 minutes left, so I wanted you to get, what, what, what would the future look like for your grandson if I was talking to him when he was in his 60s? So, you know, 50 years from now, and then fast forward to 200 years from now, what would you want the world to look like for a, 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 a Black boy in America or on the planet, not, not America, on the planet. On the planet. Yeah, okay. what's your dream? So my dream is, you know, I was um, reading over um, Dr. King's speech. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things he said is that, you know, all white people are not bad, to kind of sum it up. It says that the community must not lead to distrust all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize their destiny and, and they are tied up with our destiny. Uh-huh. Um, and I also... Um, a couple weeks ago, I saw the um, movie, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Cindy, Cindy Portier. Uh-huh. And one of the statements he said, and I've seen this movie a thousand times, but it really struck me when this time when I saw it, that he said that his hope was that one day the world will see me not as a black man, but as a man. Uh-huh. And that's that's my dream and my hope 
that somehow, and I don't know if it will ever come to, to, to being because racism has been hundreds of years ago and it seems like we're still stuck in some ways where we were back then. Mm-hmm. But my desire and my hope is that one day we can all live together without being judgmental of skin type and, and, and you know, socioeconomic. We can all live in harmony with each other and and be the people that we cr- we were created to be. It shouldn't matter whether I'm light skin, dark skin, white, Asian, Puerto Rican, and I've seen how people are treated, even in my place of work. Um, things that have happened to me that I never, ever, ever would have thought, or maybe. Like I said, I was living in this fantasy world, but until it actually happened to me, and it it just it 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 almost destroyed me. Wow! It, it almost destroyed me. But and I think they actually thought that I was gonna leave, but I was determined. I was determined that you're not gonna get the satisfaction of me walking out that door because you you showed me some injustice. I was gonna stay here and prove that I am the person that I know that I am. And you're not gonna run me off. You're not gonna run me off. And I can even see how others that are in leadership position right now are treated different because they are not of the white persuasion mm. are treated different than the ones that are in the same position are treated differently than her. And it, 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 it I, I was brought up, of course, in church and to love, and I think that's what has kept me all of these years, even through all of the different um, things that I've had to deal with in my life, um, having a, 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 a relationship with, with God and knowing that he created, he created us all equal. And although his instructions or his commandment is that we love each other, but we don't have to like the things that they do. Right. And so it keeps me grounded knowing that I don't know that I I still try to find good in everybody. Uh-huh. All, although it's not there. Um, and that everybody, you're somebody's child. 
Right. Because I, I look, I, I think about Michael Jackson. This was the perfect example when he died and, you know, people had so much to say about him, his lifestyle and, you know, and, and the things that he did and, you know, the bleaching of his skin and, and this, that, and the other. But when his daughter got up on stage and she broke down and said that no matter what, all, none of that mattered, he was my daddy. Right. You know, that really did something to me because that's all that really matters, you know, he was somebody's dad. He was somebody's son. Um, he was somebody's brother. And so no matter what everybody thinks of anybody, be it black, white, brown, Asian, Puerto Rican, or whatever, I, I still try to find some good in people, although you have to really dig deep for others. <laughs> yes, yeah, some people, it is buried far far under the covers man you you some people i have to admire you if you can find the goodness in them you are really you're really coming from a powerful place because some folks it is really hard to find it's very very deep it is very very deep it is and you know some days i have to go beyond the six feet if you know what I mean. Oh, if, yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I know but, exactly what you mean. You know but, what, though? So it occurs to me that um, I always ask, like, I was, I always like to ask people what kind of anti-racist moves they can make where they are. Uh -huh. um, and, and a lot of people have a tough time answering that question. They're like, I never even thought about that. I'm just trying to survive this mess. Have you ever thought about that? Because that you have for the future, I, I don't know, but I think it's going to take movement on all of our parts um, to get to get to that place in the next 50 to 100 years. So, and it's going to take more than just, I'm just out here minding my business trying to be a good person, I think. Absolutely. A absolutely and you know the way the way the world should should function is that we're all a team and in order to make this world a better place we have to work together to mm -hmm. make it a better person um it's like when when we're working in the operating room, no one person can do a, a, a procedure by themselves. Right. Okay, we need anesthesia. God knows we, we got to have the surgeon. You got to have someone to pass those instruments and you got to have someone to help the surgeon, be it another physician or another um, nurse or technician. And you've got to have someone and I always call that person the gopher. Right. It's, um, it takes every single person um, in that room for that patient to come out and have a successful surgery. There's right. no big I, no little you. Um, I know um, 
one of the surgical techs one day was talking in, in, in front of one of the surgeons, and he's a dear friend of both of ours. And um, she made the statement, well, I'm just a tech. And he said, stop right there. You're just not a, just not a nothing. He right. Said, he said, you're just as important to this team as I am. Right. He said, just, be, just because you think that you're just a tech, you shouldn't discount yourself as not being a valuable part of this team. And so whenever we think that we're better than someone else, I think our whole perspective is wrong. And so we have to come together as a group, as a society, as a people, um, as a country, and, and, and try to make it better for the next generation and, and the generation after that, I don't want my grandkids or my great-grandkids to have to think about what we're having to deal with now. And it is such a sad commentary that now, over a thousand years later, we're still dealing with the same struggles and, and bitterness and hatred that Dr. King talked about in his speech and the things that Rosa Parks had to deal with. You know, I remember as a little girl going to the doctor's office and of course it was a white doctor, but they had the segregated sections. The mm. white section was, a whole, was probably three times the size of the section where we sit as Blacks. Mm. I mean, there may have been six chairs on the Black side, but over on the white side, there was maybe a sofa and 10 chairs. Wow. And so, but we're still dealing with the same stuff today. Yep. But you know, you, you know what, um, Lisa? It, the Bible states there is nothing new under the sun. Right. What ha what hap what happened back during the Bible times is still happening now. But I don't want it to continue on in years to come. It shouldn't right. be. We shouldn't have to be dealing with all of the violence and 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 whether or not it's safe for my son to 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 take a walk right or ride his bicycle i don't care if it's in an all white neighborhood or all jewish neighborhood or amish neighborhood we shouldn't have to be dealing with these things that were dealt and we were supposed to have been given our freedom back then right but unfortunately we do that's the real that's the real world we live in and now that, you know, I really have opened my eyes to see that a lot of this stuff is nothing new. It's just being opened up in a way that we've never seen it before because of social media. Right. Can't and get away from it now. We, we can't get away from it. 
So mm-hmm. it's not like being pushed up under the covers anymore. And even to, you know, jobs and, and employers now are, you know, trying to have these, trying to make it so that they understand and and have this time that we can come together. That's all and good. But un- until people actually walk in our shoes to see what we actually have to deal with. Because although they say that they understand, they really don't understand. Right. They don't understand. And I don't know what it's going to take to make this world a better world. What would you say to white folks who would point to your life and say, well, you know, uh, she never worried about this so-called racism that the rest of you agitators are are jumping up and down about. And she's done well with her life. Um, She doesn't have to worry about, you know, black lives mattering to her. All lives matter. So what are you all, you know, raising hell about? What, what, because somebody could look at your life listen to this podcast and say she made it into her 60s, not worrying about this, raised three kids, survived the death of a child, excelled at her profession, and she's just fine. So you guys are making a much do about nothing. If you all acted like her, you would be fine. You wouldn't have these problems. What, what would you say to them? You can't look at, you can't look at one person Mm-hmm. You can't look at one person and and say, okay, this is how everybody, or this works for everybody, because mm-hmm. what works for me doesn't necessarily work for you, mm-hmm. and and just because I haven't had to deal with some of the issues, I've had to deal with some issues, but not to the extent that others have had. You can't put us all, you could you can't put everybody in the same box. Right. We're not and a monolith. Uh-huh. That's that's right. And and so it it is a problem. And yes, all lives matter, but black lives, we that are blacks have had to deal with some some struggles that some some others haven't even fathomed. I mean, right. when you when you see these movies, and I know they've made these movies Hollywood, but these things are actually these things actually happen. People being hung, people being right. drowned, um, out the children were raped. Right. I mean, they don't want to. They don't want to be us, but they want to. Look. Right. I mean now. You know, they they want the big lips. They want the big hips. And I can't say big hips because that's... That ain't your your superpower. (laughs) That's not one of my issues. That's not one of my issues. You didn't get blessed down there, girl. You got other blessings, though. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I'm thankful for what I have. There you go. Rock what you got. I'm, I'm thankful for what I have. But you know, and and, and I, I I think about during slavery, you know, they wanted us to to work in their fields. They wanted us to be their slaves. They wanted us to cook their food, nurse their babies, even. But they wanted us to nurse our babies, but they didn't. They they wanted 
but they didn't want us to drink their water. Yeah. They didn't want us to use their bathrooms. Mm -hmm. But they would rape us. Yeah. It's insane, isn't it? So I, I'm thinking, you know, it, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's absolutely crazy. Crazy. They would go so close, but yet so far. Yeah. And uh, I, this world is so messed up right now. And is it's a sad commentary. You know, me now seeing everything that's going on, I don't know if I... I don't know how people, our ancestors back then were able to, to go as far and do all the things that they did. And one thing I often think about, we as Black people, you know, sometimes I think that they think that if they give us an inch, we'll go a mile. And we will. Oh, Yeah. Because we are so smart, and I've listened to some of your um, podcasts, uh -huh. and, and 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 it's so in line with what I've I've thought about over. I say the past few years, my eyes have come open to a whole lot of things, mm -hmm. uh, especially since I had to deal with some things at work. Right, because I think they are afraid of us. Oh yeah, because they know in their head. That if they just give us an inch, yep, we can make that inch go a mile. Yes, honey. We are some. We are so smart. We 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 have that tenacity. Yes, honey. We get we get we get pounded on, but we find somewhere within us to pull ourselves up by the seat of our pants. Yep, and and keep going. Yes, thin air. And they don't want that. Right. Because I look at it when I was in um, a management position, I know with every ounce of my being that my boss did not want me in that position. Yeah. Be because he saw me as a strong person and he did not want a black person in that position and he knew who he wanted mm -hmm. and that person is no longer there because she couldn't take it wow i never gave it up they took it from me right she gave it up because she couldn't couldn't handle it, it. yeah she couldn't handle that's how we do so we make a way out of no way we make a way out of no way and and and, and i'm not taking all the credit because I really, I really believe that um, my creator and I have a strong relationship with God, and that's me. I can only speak for me. Right. That he has created me the person that I am. Mm -hmm. And I think, <coughs> I think all of us have to realize that our God-given abilities, we have to use them. You okay? To the, yeah, I okay. am. 
just got a little frog in my throat, um, that we have to use what we have been given and use it to the best of our ability. And uh, with that, they're threatened by us. Yeah. They are threatened by us. I believe that. Uh, That's why there's all the appropriation. And, you know, they know that literally numbers wise, they are the majority. And so if they ever sat still for a minute, they would be run over. And that's what this whole backlash is. That's, you know, how they're marching. We will not be replaced and all this other stuff. Well, I hate it for you, but the future is inevitable. Let me close on this one last note. So, and you, 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 you brought it up briefly. Ancestors. If you had the, if you had an ancestor, you could speak to who would it be and what would you ask? And, and last words for the, for the future generations, your grandson's grandson, what would you tell them? You know, um, I guess maybe hmm, it's been probably a little bit over 15 years ago. Um, my church, we used to associate with a church in Detroit. Uh-huh. And I um, had the privilege of being in the same church, Rosa Park happened to be there that one particular time. Wow. You met her? I I saw her in person. Oh, yes. Man. I was only maybe a hundred feet away from her. I couldn't get to her. Right. But she was she was in the um in the audience of that church. Oh wow. And and if you know just that day that she sat on that bus and refused to give up her seat, I would just like to know what what gave her the strength to sit there knowing that she, she was in her place on the bus but because there was other whites that didn't have a seat, she was still asked to get up mm-hmm. and she refused. But what gave her the strength to sit there and say, not today, I'm not going to do this, no matter what the cost, mm-hmm. because it could cost her her life. Right. Um, but she, 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 she didn't get up. She didn't get up. And then, you know, they boycotted it for a year or so. And I mean, I, I would just, I would love to, to know what, what just gave her the strength to say, okay, I'm not going to do it today. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit because I have the right to sit in this seat. And, you know, for our audience and and maybe you, too, a lot of people don't realize that that moment was staged and that Rosa Parks and Joanne Robinson and the Montgomery Improvement Society, which was black women in Montgomery, had been working for over a decade for 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 social justice. In fact, they picked up the 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 torch fighting for the rights of women. And you brought up this up briefly who had been raped by white men. 
Uh, the most famous, yeah. the most famous name that people might know is Reese Taylor. And I mentioned that in one of my previous podcasts because I always think about her. But she had been gang raped by seven or eight white men taken from her husband and I think her brother out of the car down wow. a dirt road. And the, the, the men were forced to drive off knowing they were leaving this woman to be raped and possibly murdered. But they had no choice but to leave her because if they hadn't left her, they would have all gotten shot. Um, Joanne Robinson and Rosa Parks had been fighting for those white men to be brought to justice. And so when Dr. King came on the scene, the black women had already set everything up, everything, the, the bus boycott, the, the not, they had, they had several other candidates to not give up their seat, but Rosa was the most quote unquote respectable being the, 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 the older one with no blemishes, quote unquote, no boyfriends, no out of wedlock chip babies, no flies on her, as they say. And but it's wow. still it's still to your point at any moment. She when it got real, like when it got real that day and she realized that a mob could have dragged her off the bus. They could have had her beaten. The, you, she could go into a jail right. cell and gotten lynched. Anything could have happened. She had no assurance that, you know, and then nothing would have been done to her. Assailant. Right. Exactly. It still speaks to what you said. You know, when 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 push came to shove and it was time to put your foot to the fire, she did not flinch. And I, I'm with you. These people, I mean, we're still dealing with the same crap, but that's why I've always had it in my heart for black folks. Just us breathing on this planet is an act of resistance. But when you get those that really go out there, you right. So, so what words would you have for the future? Your, 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 your grand, your great, great, great grandson, what would you tell him or her granddaughter? Um, or what would you tell you? No, let's not even go that far. Let's what, when your grandson gets old enough to have a conversation, are you going to have a conversation or are you going to wait and see what he brings to you? No. Because I think what the problem has been is people like me in the past have sat back mm -hmm. and not said anything. And now I feel like I'm forced to. Uh -huh. But if I had if I had been more proactive, right. maybe things would I, I I would I would feel more like I've contributed something. Got you. So now I would tell I would tell him, don't ever be ashamed of who you are. And you know you don't have to you don't have to prove anything to anybody. Right. Um and that being black and and he to believe to uh, believe it or not, he's lighter skinned than I am. Uh huh. Um, but even if don't let don't think that that is going to get you anywhere in life. Uh huh. Because just just having um, what's the word am I looking for? Just because you are your parents are black. Your grandparents are black, and you're you're labeled 
black that's all it is going to take right for them to know for them for people to know yes i may be of a, a lighter skin tone but i am black but that's still nothing to be ashamed of and you know just grow up to be the strong black powerful man that you can be and he will be mm -hmm. um, and don't settle don't settle for for don't settle for nothing less because what's what's the quote and I've I've said it uh, uh, so many times if you settle for if you don't fight for something yourself oh yeah 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 stand for something or fall for anything that's yeah it. Malcolm X yep yep and 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 just be the best that you can be not be the best man that you can be best be the best black man that you can be don't be ashamed of who you are and where you come from and what you do you know even if you're a ditch digger if you are a physician if you are a lawyer if you're sitting on the supreme court be true to yourself be true to who you are and people are going to be people no matter who they are and everybody is not going to like you right everybody's not going to like you but that's okay and i've come to that realization myself and you know what it, it doesn't matter to me it doesn't it doesn't matter to me anymore because you I, I i grew up thinking and wanting everybody to like mm. but but now i know that that's not reality I think that I think that and we're going to close with this, that you are a perfect balance of having your peace and strength in love. But yes. realizing that, you know, it's not all sunshine and roses out there. And the best way to fight it is to have that internal strength, understanding of who you are. And not being blind to reality, but standing in your truth. Um, and, and yeah, so that's beautiful. Go ahead. I'm going to let you close it out. No, I just want to say that um, I think it's a good time that we're living in now. Mm -hmm. Although there's so much, um, there's so much bad and evil that's going on. But now is the time that we can really make a difference. Right. And and come together as a people. Yes. And and not be ashamed of who we are. Right. And and be true to yourself. Yes, sis. And that way, when we lay down at night, we know that we've been the best that we can be. Because ultimately, we're the only person that we have to please. Oh, I like that. We're gonna go out on that note. <laughs> Like, you know me, I'm all about the black, black, blackity black. And you take that individual motivation, you the only person that you have to please. Well, guess what? Black folks, we the only person that we have to please as a community. Exactly. And once we please ourselves, oh, we so unstoppable. Because we'll be moving exactly. as one people, building and, and, and working out of love. 
And you know, like King said, love be Tate every time. So thank you so much for sharing your evolution with us and your wisdom with us. And, um, you know, only thing I'll ever regret is I never got to see the happy nappy. <laughs> I know. I, I just, I, I, I couldn't have. I, I, I seen you with Afro, honey. You beautiful. Look. I think I could, I think I, I, I'm okay with it, but I just don't know how to make it happen. <laughs> I need some help. Look, so, you, when you retired like me, we're going to have a, a, a girl's day and we're going to do it. We're going to get the hook up. Yes, ma'am. All right, sweetheart, you stay easy. Thank you for your time and everybody else. Peace, power, love. And we'll see you on the next Justice Journey 1 Million Voices. Peace out.